Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. We're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 3. So if you've got your Bibles, open up to 1 Peter chapter 3. And we're going to be talking about kind of Peter's view there on marriage. Again, the one thing that we love about Peter when he's teaching on marriage is that we know that Peter was married. Jesus healed his mother-in-law. And Paul tells us that actually um, Peter and his wife were out kind of doing ministry together. But then when you get to kind of the Apostle Paul, uh, again, um, some think he was married at one time in his life, but he definitely was not married when he wrote uh, his books, especially like 1 Corinthians. Because there in 1 Corinthians um, 7, he kind of talks more about being single than being married. In fact, Paul says, if you get married, you're going to have issues. You're going to have problems. I'm always surprised when couples come in and they say, oh, we're having all kinds of problems. And I go, hey, that's what the Bible says. You get married, you're going to have problems. It's part of the marriage gig, the marriage relationship. But really, Paul would go on to say, hey, if you really want to serve God, then don't get married. Because if you get married, the man, you're going to have to be concerned about the things of the wife. The wife, you're going to have to be concerned about the things for the husband. But he was more really pushing it. Just, just live for Jesus. Let Jesus be your husband. Let Jesus be your wife and, and just love him. And then you can, that would be much better. But so, so Paul kind of like is kind of talking about where in a sense that rather living the single life might be better. But uh, hey, just a, also a little commercial here. Uh, Wednesday night, April 20, I think it's 26. I'm gonna, we're going to be starting a series on married, marriage in our life classes uh, married life. It's going to be the meaning of marriage. And we're going to be going through a book called the meaning of marriage by Tim Keller. It's a book, a video and a little workbook. But I tell you, a few months back, I began reading this book and every chapter I would sit in the morning and read this book. It made me fall more in love with my wife. We're coming up actually on Easter. It's our 40, 40th year. So 40 years uh, anniversary in a sense, but yeah, praise the Lord. She's endured. Um, but, uh, but again, like for me, it's like, oh, I, you know what? I, I was falling so much in love with her, but we're going to be offering this class six weeks. Encourage you guys. And even if you're single, uh, I would come out and learn and allow God to speak and minister to your heart. It's phenomenal information. He's actually got a chapter in there on singleness, and it's probably some of the best information that I've ever read on that subject matter. But again, the meaning of marriage, Tim Keller, if you're interested in our little life class that we're going to be doing, doing. But back to First Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, it says, Wives, likewise... Be submissive to your own husbands that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging a hair, wearing a gold, putting on a fine apparel, but rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah 
obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Father, again, we thank you so much for your word and the things that you've written here for us, even tonight, God. You want us to experience you, your presence, your life, and your light within our own lives. And Lord, as we just kind of take a little break and talk a little bit more about just the marriage situations within, within our lives, God, whether we're looking at getting married, whether we've been married, whether we're single, it doesn't matter. Um, a lot of these precepts are things that we can take to heart. But would you please speak and minister to us right where we're at, Lord? Would our hearts be open to hear and to receive you? You, Your word tells us if we lack wisdom, we ask you and you give it liberally. So give that wisdom to each and every one of our hearts tonight as we look to you and we thank you and we praise you in Jesus name. And all God's people agree by saying amen. So here we have first Peter chapter seven, verses one through seven. I find it interesting that Peter takes the first six verses and he speaks to the wife And then he takes one verse and speaks to the husband, which I often think, man, that just doesn't seem fair. You know, the ladies get six verses, the guys only get one. Well, if you understand, Peter knew that ladies could handle a lot more uh, information being disseminated. And so he gives them a lot of stuff because they want a lot of stuff. And the guys, he knows, hey, you know what? I do more than one thing for the guys and they lose it. So he gives us just one verse. But listen, in this that Peter's communicating, he, he, he wants us first and foremost, to really grasp um, a, a, a picture of, of, of things that he wants us to know. And so he starts off when he's talking about this and he says, wives, and then he uses a word. And then he says to the husband, husband, and he uses a word. And he uses the exact same word to the wife and to the husband. What is that word? Wives, likewise, husbands, Likewise, And what I believe Peter is going to do right now is he's going to say, guys, listen, listen, before I get into the role of the wife, before I get into the role of the husband, I want to communicate something that you need to grasp, something that you need to really understand before we move on. Because without this information, you're not going to be able to really understand moving forward. The information I'm going to give you as a wife, the information I'm going to give you as a husband. But he says, wives, likewise, husband, likewise. Well, I remember when I first time I read that I go, okay, wise, likewise, like what? Husband, likewise, like what? Well, if I was up here and I wanted to explain something to you and I said, hey guys, likewise, or just like this, it usually means that I'm pointing to something that I want to use as a picture to explain the topic of what I want to communicate. And it's exactly what Peter's doing. He says, hey, wives, likewise, husband, likewise. Before we move on, I, I want to go back And look at what I just said, because this is radically important for you to grasp and to get a hold of. So Peter, we're going to back up in Peter chapter 2. We're going to go back to verse 11. And we're going to follow through his train of thought here. So that when we get to wives, likewise, we understand. When we get to husbands, likewise, we understand. Verse 11 says, Beloved, I beg you as soldiers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. And when Peter says abstain from fleshly lust, this word abstain means to hold oneself 
constantly back, to hold oneself constantly back from whatever it is that is not honoring to the Lord. It's like Peter would say, hey guys, I am begging you, abstain or hold yourself back. One of the versions I was reading, it said, to be the always forever designated driver. The always forever designated driver. Now stop and think about that for a moment. What is a designated driver and what is his purpose? Well, he, the designated driver by choice, by choice, he said, listen, I'm not going to participate in this so that I can make sure that everyone is safe. I'm not going to participate in this so I can make sure everyone is safe. By choice, the designated driver, he puts others first to make others safe. He abstains from those fleshly lusts which want to destroy his life, to destroy the relationship uh, with your spouse, whatever it is. Then verse 12, he goes on to say, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, again, Peter is starting a couple of different thoughts as he's walking through this. And the first one is here is he's talking about conduct, which he's going to continue on through the rest of his book, as well as he's going to get into the next verse into submission and talking about that. But, but a conduct, the way we act, the way we conduct ourselves. Uh, again, uh, what does that look like to have your conduct or the way in which you act honorable in the world in which we live. Well, the, for the designated driver, he's not under the influence. What other people have drunk. Uh, don't be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. The designated driver does not need to worry about getting a DUI because he's not under the influence of alcohol. Uh, his mind is clear and he's going to conduct himself in a right way rather than being influenced Uh, under the influence and weaving all over the road, putting his life at risk as well as other people's lives at risk. People, listen, your life, our lives, it's a testimony to the world around us, the world in which we live. Our life is a testimony to our spouse. Our life is a testimony to our kids. And every one of us, in a sense, is going to be graded on the way in which we conduct ourselves, as he tells us, in the day of visitation. Peter said, hey, guys, listen, one day you're going to stand before the Lord and we're going to be graded for the way in which we act, the way in which we conduct ourselves. What kind of grade are we going to get? I I don't know about you, but when I went to high school, at that time in my life, I was pretty much heavily medicated every single day under a lot of influences. But I remember teachers coming up to me and saying, hey, Pat, just sit in class, don't cause problems, and I'll give you a D, and it'll pass you to the next grade. So I'm thinking, hey, great, man. I'm going to go, and I'll sit. I'm not going to cause any problems, and I get get to go to the next grade. Listen, when it comes to the things of the Lord, this is not the way we want to act. We don't want to say, hey, I just want to get by with a D, you know, barely, not even really a passing grade, but I just want to get that, so maybe I can move on. Unfortunately, we don't move on in the spiritual things. If we're, we're just doing the D thing, man, we want to, we want to go after the A. Uh, we don't want to just settle for this. And now the wonderful thing is, is that I think we all fail because we all fall short of the glory of God, but God is the one who does that. But if we're looking to him and allowing him to come and looking to him to do that work within our hearts and lives, he is the one who will do it. But I always ask myself, cause I do a lot of marriage stuff, Pat, what is your grade right now? How are you doing in your marriage? How are you doing in your conduct to your wife? What grade would she give you? How about your kids? 
pat, what grade would they give you in your conduct? How bad at work? What grade would your boss be giving us? But then he goes on to say in verse 13, therefore submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether the king is supreme, to the governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, uh, for the praise of those who do good. And again, we're going to see the subject matter uh, uh, of submission and conduct throughout the rest of the book of First Peter, if you're actually reading through that. But, but this subject matter of submit, submission and what it looks like. I recently had read a book by Richard Foster. It was called The Celebration of Disciplines. And it was going through kind of like our spiritual disciplines for us. And one of them was submission. Phenomenal chapter. But in this, this is what he said. He said, the biblical teaching on submission focuses primarily on the spirit which we view other people. The real issue is the spirit of consideration and respect we have for the others. So we're going to see Peter, that his focus is going to be whether it's regards to the government, whether it's going to be regards to our jobs and even our marriages, um, that submission would be, we would understand what that submission looks like. And again, he tells us here, as far as the government is concerned, listen, the government was put in place supposed to be uh, to punish the wrong and to bless the right. Unfortunately, that's not um, what happens in the world in which we live in. But that's what God intended. That's what it was there supposed to be doing. But then if you go on verse 15 for this, again, listen, this is the will of God. And he's back to talking about our conduct and submission. That by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Again, the conduct, uh, the will of God is that we would conduct ourselves in such a way that those around us cannot speak evil about us because of our actions, because we're doing the right thing and we're not doing the wrong things. Verse 16, as free yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bond servants to God. For Christians walking in freedom, it literally means walking with responsibility to God. And if we do that, verse 17 will happen. Verse 17, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God and honor the king. And again, if we fear God, we're going to honor people and we're going to love others. So the command from Peter is we're kind of moving through abstain, be the always forever designated driver from fleshly lust. By our conduct, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God. When it comes to doing these things, others will experience the love and the kindness of God through us. So now he's going to kind of move on from the governmental realm. And now he's going to move into more personal realm. Verse 18 servants, but he's keeping the same train of thought. Be submissive to your own masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. And again, Peter's painting this picture of submission. Now listen, when Peter uses the word servant, slave, whatever your translation would read, understand that during the Roman Empire at this time when Peter was writing, six out of 10 people uh, were slaves in the Roman Empire. Okay, six out of 10 were slaves. So most were slaves. I would liken it today, kind of like more of the employer employee 
relationship. Listen, I'm an employee of Calvary Chapel South Bay. I get to choose to walk in obedience to what Calvary Chapel South Bay has asked. In fact, when I first came on staff and I started with this church back in 1987 around there, but when I first came on staff, they made you sign a little piece of paper. You know, you're not going to drink, you're not going to chew, you don't go with girls that do, you know, that kind of a thing and stuff. But again, you don't go to R-rated movies, all of this stuff. And so I remember signing that and going, okay, you know, I, I get that. I get that. But when it comes to that submission, and especially what it has to do with our, the, the, the boss, the employee-employer relationship, I read this little quote, and it said, the counsel seems unnecessary until we realize that it's quite possible for servants to obey their masters without living in a spirit of submission to them. Outwardly, we can do what people ask, and inwardly, we can rebel against them. So outwardly, we can do what people ask, but inwardly, we can rebel. And I remember at that time, there was a lot of people that came on staff, and they couldn't wait to get on staff at Calvary Chapel South Bay. They thought, oh, this is going to be the greatest thing. And then they put this piece of paper, okay, you have to sign this. And they're like, I'm not signing that. I'm not doing that. I, no, I don't agree with any of that. I go, well, that's fine, but then you're not going to be on staff at Calvary Chapel South Bay. And I remember there was a lot of people and that's okay, well, I'll do it, but, but in, you know, I'm going to, outwardly, I'm going to obey, but inwardly, I'm just going to be in rebellion. And I remember we had this one time where we had, you know, some of the younger kids and they were, there was three of them that were turning 21. And they decided, we're going to turn 21, we're going to drive to Vegas, we're going to get a hotel room, and, you know, and we're going to go have some fun and, you know, have a drink, you know, drink a glass of champagne, whatever, for their 21st birthday. And I remember, but because they decided to take a girl with them that was, and the, the, the dad of the daughter was not very happy. And uh, it was like, hey, you guys know all this happened. And then I remember I grabbed a couple of the guys and I sit down with them and said, hey, guys, what are you doing? You guys just drove to Vegas and stuff. You know, you signed a piece of paper and they're like all mad. And they're like, you know, well, yeah, you guys, this isn't right. And blah, 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 blah. I go, wait, wait, time out. So I pulled the paper. I said, whose name is that? Is that my name? Isn't that my name? Whose name is that? Oh, it's my name. It's your name. Whose signature is that? That's not my signature. It's your signature. You guys sign this. Does this not say if you guys do those things that you can be terminated? Oh, okay, yeah, I guess you're right. In a sense, and, you know, unfortunately, we kind of had to terminate them at that time. It was the Lord because they wanted to go off and do other things in a sense. But again, we can, in the employee, and listen, I have worked for some very good people. I've also worked probably like a lot of you for some people who are more on the harsh side of things that like Peter would say. But then when you get to verse 19, it says, for this is commendable because of conscience towards God. One endures grief, suffering wrongfully. Suffering wrongfully. The word commendable here is this is grace. If while submitting to the Lord, we endure grief and suffering caused by someone who is not gentle but harsh, he says, this is grace. This is grace. Now, again, remember, Peter's moving us somewhere, and he wants to show us a picture of what it looks like for us, in a sense, in our conduct and our submission. Verse 20 goes on to say, for what credit is it? If when you're beaten for your faults, you take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. Again, Peter's painting that picture, which says if the employee-employer relationship, if you do something wrong, listen, they have every right to punish you. 
But if you choose to honor God and yet you're still, you're honoring God and you get punished. Listen, I have been fired because I was a Christian. I have been brought in and and dealt with because of my stance for Jesus Christ and him alone out there in the world, in a sense. And yet Paul says, if we endure that in a right way, this is commendable. This is grace. It's the grace that God gives to us. But I also need to just stop because of the wording of what it said there, because it says when you're beaten for your faults. And oftentimes in a marriage setting, if I'm in a marriage setting, I'll stop and I'll remind people, listen, in the marriage setting, God expects there to be love in what is done in the way we act and conduct ourselves. And anyone that is touching anyone else in a way that's not desired, in a way that's not wanted, is not love. And so there should never be in a marriage relationship, especially a Christian relationship, anyone touching someone else in anger, frustration, whatever, because God is not okay with that. I just kind of needed to do that little commercial there. Verse 21, and this is what I believe Paul is really wanting to say. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that you should follow his steps. I find it interesting. Oftentimes, we only want to read those Bible verses that tell us everything's going to be wonderful and everything's going to be great. And, you know, God just loves me. Well, God does love us and he thinks you're precious, but you're not going to find that Bible verse that says your life is going to be great and wonderful. In fact, Jesus says, if you are going to live godly, you're going to suffer persecution. And, and in a sense, Peter's kind of saying the same thing. To this you were called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. Peter tells us suffering is a part of our calling. Just like Paul says, you choose to get married, you're going to have problems. Uh, And yet, again, this is the key to submission. And remember our definition of submission, which focuses on the spirit which we view other people and the spirit of consideration and respect we have for others. But listen, listen, with submission comes freedom. Yet most people think submission is all about bondage, but it's not about bondage from Jesus's perspective because he was submissive even to the point of death, death on the cross. And Jesus would say to all of us, Hey, if you're going to follow me, uh, let, 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 if you want to follow me, let you let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. I read this quote that really ministered to me. It said, do you know the liberation that comes from giving up your rights? It means you are set free from seething anger and bitterness you feel when someone doesn't act towards you the way you think or the way that you think they should. Again, oftentimes when people are acting towards us in a way that we don't like, it is that, it's that the anger, the bitterness, all of this stuff or this yuck that is coming up within our hearts and our lives. So the key of submission is following Jesus' steps. Whether we're dealing with the government, the police officer, uh, the boss at work, or even within our marriage, Jesus Christ is our example. He is our example. We're to follow in his steps. And now Peter is going to go through and walk through Jesus' example that we are to follow. And again, remember, Before we get to the verses on marriage, 
He's saying, guys, this is so important for us to grasp hold of, for us to understand. Verse 22, speaking of Jesus, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Again, the Bible says Jesus was perfect according to the law, which we can't claim that because the Bible says all sin and are falling short of the glory of God. Jesus did not ever fall short. And yet the things that came out of his mouth were truth and life. Listen, what is it that's coming out of our mouths? Is it truth? Is it life? Is there, is there sin? Is there life? So see, listen again. And I know you, you guys probably heard me say this because I say it all the time. When you go back to the Garden of Eden, what happened when Adam and Eve fell? They sinned. There was lies, deceit. There was hiding, covering, and there was blame. Lies, deceit, hiding, covering, and blame. That's what happened in the garden. Can I tell you that's what's going on in, in a lot of people's marriages when there's issues and problems? It's lies, deceit, hiding, covering, and blame. And listen, if that's going on within the marriage, we are not following Jesus's example. We're not following his example. He committed no sin, nor was deceit found within his mouth. What are the words again? that are coming out of our mouth? Are they words to build up? You know, the wise woman builds her house, but the foolish one tears it down. And that's with her words, tears it down. What is it that's coming? Are they words of hope and peace and life and grace? Or is it words of of destruction and, and yucky stuff? Verse 23, who, again, speaking of Jesus, this is that standard. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And when he suffered, he did not threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges righteously. Another version said, when he was insulted, he did not return the insult. And then I read another one that said, they called him every name in the book, and yet he did not respond. Christ was the perfect example of patient submission to unjust suffering, committing himself to his father and trusting him. Jesus didn't retaliate. Jesus did not threaten. Again, one version said, when he was abused, he made no threats of vengeance. Listen, when we, in in relationships, when we're giving ultimatums, when we draw lines in the sand, more often than not, these are seen as threats. And yet, if we're going to follow in Jesus' steps, the, 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 the threats, the lies, lines in the sand, the ultimatums should not be a part of our communication with our spouse. Again, it shouldn't be. And yet how many marriages that that's where they're living and it's always threats. It's always, you know, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that or, you know, and, and it's just so not Jesus and so very, very unhealthy. But verse 24, again, going on, who himself bore our sin in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Again, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of him. Jesus was beaten so we wouldn't have to be. Jesus received stripes so we could receive healing, forgiveness, and love. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. And I, I love it when the gospel message is just right there um, throughout the scripture. And that is, listen, we're sinners in need of a savior. God sent his son to come down. And no matter what we've done, no matter what we've said, no matter the lies, deceits, the hiding, the covering, or the blame that has gone on, the blood of Jesus can wash and cleanse us of all 
unrighteousness. Verse 25, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you've returned to the shepherd, the overseer of your souls. Jesus said again, I'm the good shepherd. The shepherd gives his life for the sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Scripture also says that we are like sheep and yet we have gone astray. I love that in Psalms 119, the very last, there's 176 verses and all this talk and talk about the word of God, the word of God, the word of God. And then the very last two verses, um, he says, man, I've gone astray like a lost sheep. But then he says, seek thy servant that I may live. And again, I love that because when we ask God, Lord, listen, yeah, I've gone astray, but you seek me and I will live. So Peter would encourage all of us to go to the shepherd, the overseers of our soul. And in the example of Jesus that we just read, listen, I love doing this portion of scripture when I have couples who come in for like um, premarital counseling and they want to get married because I go through all this like, guys, don't do this. Don't fall in the trap that so many marriages fall into where it's all about all this yuck stuff that goes on between them. Don't go there. Don't go there. But again, in the example of Jesus, then we get to chapter three, verse one. Wives, likewise. Wives, likewise. In that same example of what Jesus Christ did, the example that he laid out for us. He says, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Listen, Peter's saying, for the wife, maybe you had that time where you went and you got married and you believed this guy was going to be this knight in shining armor. And yet then you realize he's not quite that knight in shining armor. In fact, he's worse than that. He's just a toad. And, and that's not what I signed up for. That's not what I wanted. And, and, and yet you're, you're sitting here like, okay, what do I do? I thought he was a Christian and now he's not even trying to act Christ-like. But God tells you, that even if this guy is not the knight in shining armor, even if this guy is the toad, even if this guy is not walking right with the Lord, God has given you, sister, an influence in this guy's life. And you can influence him by your conduct, by your actions, and you can bring about life in the relationship because that's what God desires. He wants it for every one of us. He wants us to experience that life. And he's saying, hey, in the marriage relationship, there should be life being experienced regardless of what he has chosen to do. God has given you an influence. Now, here's the thing. With this influence that God has given you, you can choose to do one or two things with it. You can choose to use it for your own selfish, self-centered reasons. You can try to use that influence to get him to do all the things you think you need to have done and and to get him to do all the things that you think would be right for the relationship. And you can even have a, a, your heart might even mean well, but it's not done in the right way because it's more for you than than it is for the Lord. But if you choose to use it for yourself, listen, the marriage is not going to go in a healthy place. But you can use that influence that God has given you, and he has given you an influence in this man's life. You can use that influence to honor God by your conduct, by your actions, by your attitudes, and God will take that, and he will use it for his glory and bring about life within the relationship. I think Peter, the first picture he paints for you ladies, is that God has given an influence. Man, don't use it for yourself, but use it to honor God. Glorify him and allow him to do that work through you and to bring about the life 
in the relationship that I know you desire, that, that you know that God wants you to have. Secondly, goes on, verse 3. Don't let your adornment be merely outward, arranging a hair, wearing a gold, putting on fine apparel, but rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. Now listen, Peter's a guy and he knows guys are visual. So guys kind of like the pretty thing. Okay. That's kind of, you know, and again, most guys, you know, the reason you get married is because of the outer beauty that God has given your wife. And, and that's kind of like, okay, yeah, that there's nothing wrong with that per se. But ladies, we live in a world that it is so much about the external. You go through any grocery store, any place, and the magazines and all this, and it's all about, oh, the supermodel, the superman. Everyone's trying to be that supermodel, but it's all about the external stuff. Listen, I remember my wife doing a study one time with ladies, and she was talking about the supermodel. And she was saying, ladies, do you understand that there are very few women on the planet who actually have the genetic engineering to be a supermodel. And yet everyone's kind of like vowing to that. And that's what everyone's looking for. And it's like, yes, that's what I want to be. But my wife said, every woman on the planet has the ability to be one of God's supermodels because God's supermodel is not so much about the exterior. God's supermodel is all about what's going on within the heart. And if there's bitterness, unforgiveness, if there's envy, jealousy, if there's this yuck going on here, then listen, what's going to come out is not going to be this incorruptible beauty. But when we will surrender over to him and we allow God, ladies, to do that work in your heart, God is going to bring about something that is beautiful. And it's not going to be fake. It's not going to be phony. I had a good friend of mine, and he was from Missouri, kind of redneck guy. But anyways, he went to Vegas and was doing a trade show. First time he'd ever been there. And as he's walking around, because he called me, he says, Pat, this place is incredible. It's amazing. But I'm looking at all of this stuff and these statues and all these things. But then when I went up and I'm playing with them, he says, they're all phony. They're plastic. They're fake. They're not even real, what you think they are. And and that's kind of the world in which we live in. It's this plastic, phony, fake kind of stuff that's going on. And yet every Everyone's looking for that, and it has more to do with the external things rather than the internal. But Peter would say, hey, ladies, listen, listen, don't be so concerned. Your your husband loves the outer beauty, but don't be so concerned with the exterior as much as you would be concerned with what's going on within the heart and making sure that what's going on in here is something that, and I love that. He says, incorruptible beauty. That means you you cannot corrupt it. It's incorruptible. That's what God wants to do within the heart. And can I tell you, when sisters are allowing God to do that work in here, what comes out is that incorruptible beauty. It's very attractive. That's what the Lord would say. First thing, God has given you an influence. Use it to honor him, to glorify him. Second thing is, be one of God's supermodels. And be more concerned with what's going on on the inside than really what's going on on the outside. And lastly, pick it up in verse 5. For in this manner in former times, holy women trusted God, also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughter you are, if you do good, and are not afraid with any terror. And again, I love this because Peter brings in somebody to use as an example. 
And, and that person's name is Sarah. Listen, if he had brought in Esther or Ruth, when you read in the scripture about Esther, Ruth, you, you, there's nothing really wrong said about them. And that might be a little difficult, you know, to kind of, okay, how do, I, how do I measure up to that? But do you know, ladies, listen, Sarah had problems with envy, with jealousy, with telling her husband what to do. You know, I mean, she, she had struggles, which I love the fact that he had struggles because it makes her a lot more relatable too. But stop for a moment and think about Sarah and Abraham and their life. Listen, they're coming into this land. You know, Abraham's, you know, I don't know, 90. Sarah's about 80. But he looks at Sarah and thinks, man, you're such a babe. When we go into the land, they're going to kill me just to take you. So he says, hey, when we go into the land, I want you to lie for me. Again, though it's recorded, not recommended. Um, but he says, hey, you know, you lie for me. You tell everyone that I'm your brother. I'm going to tell everyone you're my sister. So they go into the land, and that is what happens. Abraham goes, oh, yeah, that's my sister. Oh, yeah, that's my brother. Well, this king sees Sarah, and he's like, man, she's a babe. I, I want her. So he goes to Abraham, I'm going to give you all this wealth. And think about this. So Abraham gets all this wealth. He's standing there. He gets all these cattle and sheep and everything. He's like, yeah, pretty cool, man. I got all this wealth. And then Sarah gets sold to go be in this guy's harem. Well, stop and think about what would happen if your husband sold you to go be in some guy's harem. Listen, you become a sex slave. You're a sex toy for that guy. So, so now, now think about the reality of that. That is what's going on there. So Sarah, Abraham gets all this wealth, and then she's like kind of heading over to go be this guy's sex slave, and she turns around and she sees Abraham. Do you think she's saying, Abraham, I trust you, buddy? You think she's saying that? Ladies, can I tell you something? God is not asking you to trust your husband. I know that's a huge revelation for maybe some of you. But he's not asking you to trust your husband. But he is asking you to trust somebody. Who is it that he's asking you to trust? As holy women trusted God. Sarah trusted God. And because Sarah trusted God, God intervened in that situation. And listen, you know, we call Abraham this man of faith. It didn't happen just once. It happened twice. And God intervened both times. Because Sarah trusted God. Listen, one of the things that I hear in marriage counseling, issues and problems, Pat, I, I, I don't trust him and I don't think I ever will. And I often have to go through this little story and say, listen, God isn't asking you to trust him. But he is asking you to trust him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will direct your path. So ladies, listen. And I love Peter's heart behind this. Three things he communicates to you. First thing is, God has given you an influence. Use it to honor and glorify God. And it will bring about life in the relationship. Secondly, listen, be one of God's supermodels, which is more concerned with the inside rather than just the exterior stuff. And thirdly, you got to trust him. You got to trust him. That's what he's asking you to do is to trust him. He's not asking you to trust him, whichever side he's sitting on. He's not asking you to trust. He's asking you to trust him. And yet as you trust him, God will intervene and move and work in the relationship. Going on to verse seven. Husbands, likewise, likewise, 
Dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, being heirs together the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. And again, here, Peter, husbands, likewise, the command to follow in Jesus' steps, who suffered and died for us, who yielded to his Father's will, who did not allow deceit to be a part of his life, when he was insulted, did not return the insult, or when they called him every name in the book, he didn't respond. When he was abused, he made no threats of vengeance. Again, when it comes to marriage and the way we conduct ourselves with our wives, threat, lines in the sand, ultimatums, should not be a part of our conversations with them. We need to walk in Jesus' steps. Men were called to lay down our lives for our wives. And then we see Peter exhorting the husbands uh, to give their wives, in a sense, two gifts of love, understanding and respect. Then he goes on to say, dwell with them, speaking to the husband, dwell with them with understanding. And I love that because he starts with dwell. That word dwell, that means to reside together as a family. Again, therefore, man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife. The two should become one flesh. Oneness is God's design for marriage. Listen, husband, your wife, when she got married, it wasn't to be by herself, to eat alone or to sleep alone. She got married to be one with you, to dwell with you. She wants you present. She wants you involved. She wants you there, involved with the family, involved with the kids. I have a lot of ladies say, well, my husband's there, but he's not there. He's there, Pat, but he's on the phone. He's on the computer. He's in front of the TV, but he is not involved in anything that's going on. And yet Paul or Peter would say, we need to dwell with them, with understanding, dwell, be involved in the things that are going on, be a part of what's going on within the family. But he says, dwell with them with understanding. And this is not so much what every woman wants, like all women are exactly the same. And, you know, any guy can figure out what every woman wants. But this word understanding means understanding by experience. Dwell with them with understanding, understanding by experience. It's the Greek word gnosko, which is knowledge by experience, knowledge by experience. Um, This is how it works. Like I can sit here and tell you, my wife made some enchiladas the other day and they were phenomenal. They were amazing. She made some guacamole, some, you know, put some sour cream on them. And everybody was like, oh my gosh, my gosh, my gosh. They were wonderful. Now, listen, I just gave you knowledge of these enchiladas that my wife made. But you don't have gnosko until you actually take a fork and you dive in and you eat that. Then once you eat it, now you have the experiential knowledge. You understand. You have understanding with that. And, and that's what this, this word it means, in a sense, to dwell with them with understanding. We would have that experiential knowledge. Again, guys, understand. There are huge differences between man and woman. The Bible says in the Garden of Eden, there God took from the dust of the earth. He fashioned and formed man. He breathed into his nostrils, breath of life. Adam became a living bee, and then he took Adam and put him in the garden. Uh, you know, and he was to name the animals and take care of the garden. And, and, and yet, you know, Adam kind of figures out there's all these other animals that are male and female. Uh, what about me? And God puts him in a deep sleep, and from the side, he takes the rib. Now listen, he took the man from where? Dust of the earth, right? Did he take the woman from the dust of the earth? 
No, which means what? It means she's radically different. Okay, that's what it means. And there are differences between men and women. I mean, the way we communicate, the way we understand, the way we perceive, the, our thoughts on different things, whether there's an argument going on, the way we communicate, whether it's sexual, what, whatever the case may be, there's radical differences. And in those differences, they can cause some issues or some problems. But again, God made her this way. And he's asking us to dwell with them with understanding. Dwell with them. Choose to embrace who she is and what God has, how she, he has made her. But then it says to give honor. Giving honor. Giving honor. She would be looked at as this precious, valuable gift from the Lord. And again, interesting, Peter here elevates wives to a place where they had never been in society. And yet men, we are called to honor our wives in all aspects of her life. Honor her emotionally. Again, men, she has emotions you don't know about. Men, we have these little, little, tiny, manly feelings, okay? She has these big, great, amazing, beautiful woman feelings that we don't know anything about that. But that's how God made her. Her body goes through changes every month and stuff. Our body doesn't do that. But that's how God made her. Listen, when she gets pregnant, it's like her organs kind of move around and make room for this baby, Our bodies don't do that. But listen, this is how God made her. And we're to honor all things about her. We're to honor her emotionally. All the emotions, all the feelings and the things that she goes through. We're to honor those things. We're also called to honor her physically, which means she should never be touched in any way that's not desired or wanted. Again, unfortunately, in the world in which we live in, something that I see oftentimes is that, you know, people go out and they'll watch porn or they'll see this, and then they try to bring it back into the marriage relationship. And it's like, no, 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 that's not okay. That's not right. That's not good. That's not what God would want. And listen, like I oftentimes say in the marriage bed, anything goes as long as we agree it's okay. But if we say, no, that's not okay, then it doesn't go. And we don't force it to happen because we want to honor Physically, we want to honor sexually. We want to honor her spiritually. You know, the other morning I was reading, I don't know if you guys read through the, the Bible. I do every year and stuff. We've been doing that for a long time. But reading through the Gospel of Luke in chapter 1, it tells us about John the Baptist. And this is what it says. It said of John the Baptist that he was called, and this is his dad, prophesying over who he was going to be. But he was to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. John the Baptist was going to be this guy that was going to come on a scene. He was going to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And I felt like God spoke to my heart. And he said, hey, Pat, are you doing the John the Baptist thing within your marriage? Are you doing that? Are, are, are you making Mary ready or prepared to meet the Lord? Because that's what the Lord is asking. Guys, are we doing the John the Baptist thing? Are we making our wives ready, prepared to meet the Lord? Paul kind of uses that same example Um, speaking of Jesus, when he says to the husbands that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Husbands, we're to honor our wives spiritually. 
were to do that John the Baptist thing, to make her ready, prepared to meet the Lord. And then he goes on to say, as to the weaker vessel, as to the weaker vessel. And guys, again, listen, this does not mean, um, you know, Paul or Peter saying, okay, you can beat her in arm wrestling, so she's the weaker vessel. That's not it. Listen, what he's kind of saying is, like us guys, we're like this little bottle of water. Oops. Hey, you know what? Nothing happened. It's cool. It didn't break. Everything's cool stuff. This is the guy, okay? That can happen, right? Can I tell you guys, this is not the lady. It ain't the lady. She's just like Crystal Voss. That if you throw her down, she's going to shatter. She's going to shatter. And again, he would say that, that we are to honor her as the weaker vessel, understanding that this is how she is. And the Lord would speak to our hearts how we are to treat our wives, how we are to conduct, conduct ourselves with them. And the way in which we conduct ourselves, God cares so deeply about. Because I oftentimes have guys that I talk to that feel like they can treat their wife however they want and God's okay with it. Listen, if my son-in-law came in here and he said, hey, Pat, uh, I want to, you know, uh, beat Michelle. I want to cuss her out. I want to cheat on her. You know, uh, you're okay with that, right? And I'm like, yeah, no, I'm not okay with that. That's my little precious girl. And, and I think she needs to be treated like a little, the little princess. And if you're not going to treat her like a princess, I'm never going to be okay with that. Guys, listen up. Your wife is God's daughter. And he cares deeply about how she's treated. So much so that Peter would say, if we choose to treat her however we want, and it goes against what God's word would say, God says, you can pray to me all you want and I'm not gonna hear a word you say, which is, man, that's eye-opening to me because I'm a sinner. I need God to hear me each and every day. And if God says, Pat, if you act this way or conduct yourself this way, I'm not even gonna listen to you. And I'm going to say, okay, then I don't want to act that way or conduct myself that way because I need you to listen to me. But listen, listen, listen. Here's what God says for us husbands. If you will dwell with your wife with understanding, if you will honor her as the weaker vessel, you will receive the gift of grace of life in the relationship. God will bring about life for you. What I love about that is he tells the wife, you, you walk in accordance to me. I want to bring about life. He tells the husband, you walk according to me. I want to bring about life. Listen, marriage should be the second greatest thing we experience on this earth. And unfortunately, so oftentimes it's not because we're not walking in obedience to what he's asked because his desires that we would experience just like our relationship with him. He wants us to experience life. He wants us to experience that. And are we willing to go God's way so that we can experience that life that he has for us. Let's pray. Father, again, we do thank you and we praise you for being such a gracious and a merciful God. And Lord, as we have gone through and looked at uh, the example that Peter has given to us, uh, the example of Jesus in a way in which we should conduct ourselves, a way in which we should act, the things we should say, how we should do that, in this relationship thing called marriage. God, I pray and ask that we would choose to say, yes, Lord, we want to follow your example. And we want to do that because we want to experience life within the relationship for both the wife and the husband. Lord, as we see these things, as we've learned these things, I know in a room like this, there's been many that maybe have fallen short 
of walking in that obedience, which is wonderful because you promise us in your word that you, God, offer us forgiveness, that you offer us grace. And Lord, we look to you for that forgiveness and grace. We look to you to bring about the healing within the relationship. So Lord, would you please touch right now? Would you be with us? Would you heal? God, would you move and work in our midst? And we do thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And all God's people agree by saying amen. Thanks for listening. And we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys and we'll see you next week.